Good morning, One Church. How are you today? Everybody doing good? Woo! I'm excited. Are you excited? I hope you're excited. I'm really excited. Can you tell I'm excited? Good. Awesome. Great. I got to say, any church that goes to the length that we do to do something with pink flamingos, I mean, really? Come on. That's just crazy to me. So, uh, lo- love the creativity that we get to have here. And, um, and I just want to say what a privilege it is to be um, able to speak to you this morning. As Luther mentioned, Chris is just having a couple of days away in Atlanta and enjoying some time. And he was actually um, hearing Andy Stanley preach this morning. So I know that he's very excited about that. So, uh, But it's my honor to be here with you, to get to speak with you and share with you as we start this new series, Real Housewives of the Bible. How many of you have actually watched the series Real Housewives of Atlanta or New York or whatever? Any of you ever seen that? Oh, I know you've watched it. Y'all are to look at each other going, oh no, I would never watch that. Yes, you do. Yeah, those ladies are crazy. That's all I have to say. I mean, those women are scary. Um, You know, they've got all this money and all this time and possessions and I don't know how they can always be so unhappy. I've never seen more women fight and get into cahoots. You know, at the beginning of the program, they'll be best friends, buddy, buddy, love you, you're my favorite. And by the end of the show, they're like, get out of my space. I want nothing to do with you. You have betrayed me. I mean, it's just crazy. Uh, So, you know, a lot of times when we think of people in the Bible, and they're not characters. These were real, live, air-breathing, food-eating people. Uh, when we think about people in the Bible, we, we, sometimes we want to put them in this perfect light. We want to look at them as if they have no flaws. For the women, you know, they always have a perfect hair day, and, and you know, every hair is in place. They wear pearls and vacuum at the same time. You know, it's just this image of perfection that we have. But I want to tell you, and if you spent much time in the Bible, you know that is not the case. A lot of people that we encounter in the Bible, women and men, had some really messed up lives. And so that's why we're calling this series The Real Housewives of the Bible. And so today, we're going to take a look at Rebecca. And I'm going to go ahead and just throw the big idea up on screen today because this is going to direct our thoughts throughout our time together. And our big idea is that those you love may suffer when you insist on your own plans. In other words, when you try to control things, when you try to dictate the outcome, when you try to play behind the scenes and manipulate things, those that you love may end up suffering. And that is Rebecca's story. And that is what we're going to learn about today. So just let that go ahead and get your mind set for where we're headed with Rebecca. Now, I want to set up her story for you a little bit. We're in the book of Genesis, which is the first book in the Old Testament of the Bible. So the very beginning of God's word where things are unfolding and God's kind of getting the world ready and and kind of showing his plan. And back in that time, there was a husband and wife named Abraham and Sarah. You may have heard of them before. So God comes to Abraham and he says, hey, Abe, I have got a plan for you. I have chosen you, and I'm going to bless you. I am going to bless your family. I'm going to bless your wealth. I'm going to bless everything you do. You're going to have livestock and cattle. You're going to have children galore. You're going to have riches. You're going to have all this stuff. I'm going to pour it out on you. 
And he says, and your descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Now that's a pretty darn good promise, don't you think? That's, that sounds pretty nice. I think if the Lord showed up and said to me, hey Kim, I've got some blessing. I've got some real big stuff. Man, I'd be like, woohoo, bring it on, yes. So, but, but here's what we find out. Abraham says, okay, God, that's great, and I'm all in, except um, that part about, like, my descendants being, like, really numerous. Okay, we don't have any children, Sarah and I, no children, and, and I'm 100, and she's 90, so I'm not exactly sure how you're planning to pull this whole thing together, but we got some issues. And I just want to push the pause button right here for just a minute, because there are some of you in here that are facing that same issue. There are some husbands and wives here today that are facing the issue of childlessness, facing the journey of infertility. And I want to say that that is is not something that we take lightly. That is something I know that, that has affected your life and your heart deeply. And I want you to know that God sees that and that he knows that. He saw it with Abraham and Sarah. He saw it with many families in the Bible, many women who struggled with that. It's not something that he just looks at and just brushes to the side. Oh, that's not important. God knows the deep desires of our hearts because he puts them there. He creates them in our lives. And so if that's something that you struggle with or if you struggle with people innocently asking questions, oh, when are you going to have kids? When are you going to start a family? And every time you hear that question, it's just like a knife in your heart over and over again. I want to say to you, please don't give up hope. Please don't doubt God. Please don't try to take things out of his control. Please don't try to take things into your own hands. Trust that he hears you and trust that he knows the desire of your heart. And continue to cry out for him. Continue to cry out to him and ask him to bring that into your life. It may not look exactly the way you think it will, but continue to call out to him for that. And that's what happened with Abraham and Sarah. Abraham says, okay, God, you've promised this great blessing, but uh, we got some issues here. And so at the age of 90, Sarah gets pregnant and has a baby boy, and they name him Isaac. And thus God begins to fulfill the promise that he made to Abraham and Sarah. So Isaac grows up, He's a good young man, a good boy. And when he's 40, he meets Rebecca. So Isaac marries Rebecca, and they begin their life together. So we're in Genesis chapter 25 today. If you have your Bibles and you want to open to that, if not, once again, pull out your phones, open up your U version. And this is where we're going to pick up. This is the account of the family of Isaac, the son of Abraham. When Isaac was 40 years old, he married Rebecca. So there's the scene, Isaac and Rebecca. Now I want you to stop for a minute and think about Rebecca and the fact that she is Sarah's daughter-in-law. Now Sarah, who is known as one of the greatest women of the Bible, Abraham's wife, Abraham has been chosen, Abraham and Sarah together for this great blessing. And here comes Rebecca. And maybe some of you as as women, when you got married, you found yourself in this place of a mother-in-law who is like amazing, She can do all things. She can cook. She can sew. She can, you know, jump down, turn around, spin a bale of cotton or whatever. I don't know. She's just got these gifts. And 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 so here's Rebecca in this in the shadow of Sarah and and probably comparing herself some, like, oh my gosh, look at this amazing woman. 
I know we find ourselves there a lot as women. I find myself there more often than I care to. And it's one of the things that I hate battling with. I keep telling myself, God has created me to be who I am in him and my identity is in Christ and trust in that. And then I go, oh, she's really cute. I love her hair. Cute outfit. Wish I had that outfit. You know? We, so we have to watch out for that comparison. So, so I want to keep going because we do find that Rebecca and Sarah have something in common. Uh, we're in verse 21, chapter 5, verse 21. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife Sarah because she was unable to have children. Hmm. Sarah, Rebecca. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer and Rebecca became pregnant with twins. Whoa, okay, wow, not just one, but two. And this is the first time in the Bible that twins are mentioned. Now, just as I mentioned to you that Sarah and Rebecca have this in common of not being able to have a baby, there are many others in the Bible as well. And I just want to mention some of their names so that if this is something you want to follow up on, you certainly can. Rachel struggled with being able to have a baby. Samson's mother Hannah struggled with that. Michael, the wife of King David. Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. This is something we see again over and over in scripture. And so when Rebecca finds out that she's going to have twins, it's like, whoa. But I want to stop for a minute and look at what's happening here. Who pleaded with the Lord on behalf of Rebecca? Isaac did. And who is Isaac? That's right, son of Abraham and Rebecca's husband. Husbands, do you pray for your wives? When you know that your wife is up against something, struggling with something, fighting through something, are you praying for her? Are you going on her behalf to the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm just crying out on behalf of my wife. She's really struggling here. Can you help her? Wives, are you doing that for your husbands? This isn't a one-way street. But I love the picture that's presented here of Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of Rebecca. Let's plead with the Lord on behalf of our spouses. Let's go before him and say, I have this most precious treasure that you've given to me, Lord. And I just want to pray for their best. I just want to lift them up to you. Let's pray for our spouses. So the Lord grants Isaac's prayer and Rebecca becomes pregnant with twins. First example of that in the Bible very scary thing, I'm sure. Let's look at verse 22. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb, and so she went to ask the Lord about it, saying, why is this happening to me, she asked. So she's got these two kids in here, and they are going at it. They are moving and grooving. Anybody in here have twins? Do you have anybody moms of twins in here in the back? Yeah? Now, I cannot imagine what that must be like. Now, you know, I... I am the mom of some big boys. I'm, I'm just going to stop for a minute and tell you that. Um, I think it's something about, I think small women ha- are, like, have these big babies. You know, Walt was nine and a half pounds. Jed was nine pounds. Bingham was nine pounds, nine ounces. Y'all, I mean, I got these babies. You know, they're like, hey, mom. What's happening? You know, so... So, so I can only imagine what twins must be like in there. And I used to think it was a lot of fun when I was pregnant to like get on the couch and put the remote on my belly. And when they move around, you know, you can see the remote or, or whatever. But just, just that idea of that movement that's going on in there. And so she's kind of freaking out. Like, okay, well, I'm having these, I'm having these twins and there's all this stuff. And God, God what, what's going on? Am I, am I going to lose this? Am I going to lose this pregnancy? 
You know, sometimes when God gives us something, it doesn't mean that it's all going to be sunshine and roses the rest of the way. And I think that's kind of what Rebecca's feeling. Like, like, why is this happening to me? I've waited all this time for you to act, and now everything seems so uncertain. Lord, Lord, please don't let anything happen. Have you found yourself in that place when you've said, Why, God? You gave me this thing I was asking for, but it's not quite what I thought it would be. Why? I thought this would be the answer to all my problems, but it's not going how I thought it would. Why? And I want you to see what happens is that Sarah went to God. Just like Isaac went to God, Sarah went to God with her questions, which is important. She didn't run to the midwife. She didn't run to the neighbor's house. She went to God and said, why? And then in verse, uh, chapter 25, verse 23, the Lord told her. The Lord told who? Rebecca. He spoke to Rebecca. Does the Lord hear us? Does he hear us? Yes, he does. And he proves it right here in speaking to Rebecca. He speaks right to her, one-on-one. He doesn't go back to Isaac and say, here is a word for your wife. No, he speaks to Rebecca. Can we count on God to hear our every need? Yes. Can we count on him when we have questions about things that we're scared about? Yes. Can we count on him to stay with us? Yes. Let's go on the rest of verse 23. And the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. And from the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve the younger son. Okay, whoa. I was just asking about the twins, Lord. That is a whole lot of information that you just gave me here. Okay, so there's two of them, and they're going to be rivals. And the younger one is going to rule over the older one, and he's going to be stronger, and the the older will serve the younger. Oh, my goodness. This is really not unfolding how I thought it would. This, this This doesn't sound like what God usually does. I mean, usually in a family, God chooses the oldest the oldest son to be in charge, the oldest son to have power, the oldest son to give leadership. But God has just told her that the exact opposite is going to come through. And that's just like God sometimes to just go for the underdog, to just come in and just do things like we're not expecting it. Like, like here's what we are expecting in plan A. And he's like, nope, going to plan B. What you expect him to do doesn't always happen. What seems logical and strong and and the way that we should go isn't all the ways the way that he chooses and that's exactly what happened here so Rebecca has her firstborn son and he was covered in so much red thick hair it was like a fur coat so they named him Esau Esau means Harry hey Harry not H-A-R-R-Y H-A-I-R-Y Harry Harry, covered in the red hair, okay? So, so he's covered in this thick red hair. And then the other twin was born, and his hand was grasping Esau's heel. Now, if you've ever delivered a baby, imagine that. Imagine how that, woo, yes, here they come. And so he's, he's grabbing the heel, and they named him Jacob. And Isaac was 26, uh, 26 years old. When the twins were born. Okay, that's not right. There was, he was 60 years old. 
26. Where did I get 20 from? You know what you love it when you try to read something without your glasses on? Welcome. Welcome to the mid-40s. He was, he was 60 years old. I'm so sorry, guys. Woo! Anyway, wherever 20 came from, uh, maybe down here? I don't know. Anyway, we're just going to keep moving. If we can edit that section of the video, that would be great. I'd appreciate that. So, so we, have, we have Esau, who is hairy, and then we have Jacob. And Jacob means to grab the heel. It means deceiver. It means to manipulate. It means to hang on, a trickster, someone who's deceitful. So we have heel. We have hairy and heel. You know, some families like to do that, where they use the same letter on all the names of their children, whether it's an M or J or whatever. So here we have hairy and heel. We've got the H thing going on. As the boys grew up, here's verse 27. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman. But Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Okay, so this is something we're probably very used to. Two children, polar opposites. Anybody in here got that? Yes. You look at them and you think, how could the two of you possibly have come from us? The same DNA working here, and we've got, like, polar opposites. Esau wants to be outside. He's a man's man. He's got testosterone, and he's hairy. And he hunts things, and I make fire. You know, it's, 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 he's got this manly thing going on with him. And then we've got, then we've got Jacob, who's like, I'm, I'm just going to chill here at the house, make some stew, hang with mom, mama's boy, maybe. Daddy's boy and mama's boy, adventurous, and I'll stay back. You know, it's very interesting when we see that in our own families. We have three boys, as most of you know. Walt is our oldest. He's 17. You know, Walt is that, like, um, very much of a first child, very much of a go-getter, a conqueror. and, And he likes a little bit of fear in what he does. He likes to have that, like, something's nipping at his heels. If he doesn't feel like something's coming to get him, he just kind of lays back. But the minute it's like, ooh, conquer. He's in on that. So he's got that. Now, Jed is my middle son. He's 11. And he's, he's, very, he's the peacekeeper. I mean, he just loves. He just, he just wants everybody to be happy. He, he, he follows the rules so nicely. Such a good boy. That's Jed. Then there's Bing. Party, 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 party. I mean, he's ready. He is ready for the party. Bring it on. We are going to have some fun in this house. So we've got all these different elements going on. And it's no different here. And even Solomon says in the book of Proverbs, I want to look at 22 verse 6. It says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not turn from it. Now, what does that mean? Train up a child in the way he should go. Does that mean we just give them a list of rules and regulations of things they're supposed to do and just be like, you do it because I said it. No. What he's talking about here is studying our children, watching them. What makes them tick? What are their interests? What are their likes? What are their dislikes? What is it that makes them unique? That we find that and we parent that. We parent to that strength in them. It's easy for us to favor. It's easy for us to to choose something in one child that we really love and something about another one may drive us crazy. There's a book called The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. Some of you may have read it. Excellent book. If you haven't read it, highly recommend it. Basically, what he talks about is that every one of us has a love language. There are acts of service, quality time, physical touch, words of affirmation, 
and gifts. Now, I want you to stop and think about yourself for just a second. Which one of those speaks to you? Do you like to receive gifts? Do you like hanging out? Is, is time your thing? Do you like doing things for others behind the scenes, being a servant? Do you like a big old hug or a kiss? I love you. Or what about words of affirmation? Way to go. Great job. When somebody gives you words of affirmation, you're just like, yes, I did it. We have to find out what the language of our children is. What's the language that they speak? And we speak to them in that language. So, for example, if my gift is acts of service, like I love it when people do nice things for me, but say Jed's language is quality time, if I'm always doing things for Jed, is that going to mean much to him? No, it's not. Because if his is quality time, that just means he wants me to stop doing and start being. Being with him. So that's a really important distinction there that we have to watch for. Rebecca found that it was easier to love Jacob. She favored him. And remember, she knew something that no one else knew. She knew what God told her about the youngest and the oldest. Let's look at verse 28. So it says that Esau loved, Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game. And Esau, that Esau brought home. But Rebecca loved Jacob. Look at this. Isaac loved Esau. Rebecca loved Jacob. Imagine being a child in that home. Imagine the tone. Imagine the feeling of being left out. Imagine the desperation of trying to gain the attention of the parent who loved the other child. This is division. Where, where, is, where is Isaac's love for Jacob? Where is Rebekah's love for Esau? And where is Isaac and Rebekah's love for each other? Rebekah chose Jacob over Esau. She favored him. She protected him. She paved the way for him. She may have even chosen Jacob over Isaac. Isaac may have chosen Esau over Rebekah. Either way, do you see what's happening here? Do you see the division? Do you see how this family is becoming fractured because of favoritism, because of manipulation? Rebekah knows what's going to happen, and she's beginning to make a shift in the way that she's guarding over her family. I want to take a look at Genesis chapter 27 and want to finish up the story of what happens when, when we see this favoritism continue to take place. So it says, One day when Isaac was old and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and he said, My son, yes, father, Esau replied. I am an old man now, Isaac said, and I don't know when I may die. Take your bow and your quiver full of arrows and go out into the open country and hunt some wild game for me. And prepare my favorite dish and bring it back here for me to eat. And then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. 
Now let me explain what's going to happen here. So we've talked about the oldest and the youngest. We've talked about those roles. So what happens is when a parent was about to die, when a father was about to die, he would call in the firstborn son and pronounce a blessing and a birthright over that son. And there were several parts that went into this. The birthright was an extremely important and valuable privilege an honor and a blessing that was bestowed. And there are three components. The first one is the financial side. The oldest child received a double portion of the wealth of the family. So really important. That's like instant wealth. The second part is the authority that comes with this birthright. That basically once the father has passed away, then the oldest son kind of becomes the head of the family becomes the executor. And then the third part is the blessing. I want to stop for just a minute on the first two where we're talking about the financial side and the the authority side. Some of you may know, some of you may not, that both of my parents have passed away within the last six months, and I am finding myself in this role as I'm the oldest. My mom has kind of a Rebecca story. My parents did not think that they could have children, and so I was adopted when I was six weeks old. And at the age of 45, my mother found out that she was pregnant for the very first time. So my brother was born when I was a senior in high school. And you want to talk about crazy. I hear y'all, y'all going, woo, woo, yeah. That's exactly what we did. I am the age now that my mother was when she got pregnant for the very first time. And so our family roles were kind of, whoo, crazy. And she came out of that doctor's office and said, no, I don't have the flu, I'm pregnant. And we were all like, whoa, where is the star in the sky? Where are the shepherds and the wise men? This is like a miracle going on here. So throughout the time of my growing up, not only have I been the oldest, I've been the way oldest. And so in this season where both of my parents have passed away, this, this is like where I'm living right now. Executor of the estate. In charge of the money. In charge of decisions. There's been many nights where I've laid awake thinking, okay, did I, did I get that life insurance taken care of? Did I, did, I, did I sign this form? Did I return this? Did I pay that bill? Did I notify this company? Have I, I mean, there's a big responsibility that comes with that. So this isn't something that that goes lightly or comes lightly. When a birthright is given, the responsibility that comes with that is huge, and that oldest child receives that. But that third component is really important, the blessing of God. And this is when, as a parent, they would speak over the child the words of blessing. May God bless you and be with you. May he guide your path and your decisions. May he give you wisdom and strength. May he prosper you in all that you do. This is a really important time. And so when Jacob, when Isaac says to Jacob, come in and and go out and bring me the stew and then I'm going to give you the blessing, guess who heard that? Rebecca. Let's look at Genesis 27 verse 5. But Rebecca overheard what Isaac had said to his son. Look at that. His son, Esau. You think she overheard? Or you think she might have been listening? Remember, she knows the plan that no one else is aware of. 
She knows what's coming. And sometimes as moms, and and I'm going to speak to the women for a minute, sometimes as moms and sometimes as wives, do we find ourselves in that place where we just need a little more control, a little more say-so, a little bit more of a hand in what's going on in the lives of our husbands and our children? Army wives, I know that this has got to be something that you struggle with. I mean, I grew up in an army family, so a lot of times it was just me and my mom. And I admire you so much because when your husband is away from the home, you must step into a role of control. You must step into leadership. You must lead your home and take care of your children and make important decisions. And then one day your husband comes back and he's like, okay, I'm home, I'll take all that back over. And you go, huh? Excuse me? I've been working really hard while you've been gone. I'm not so sure that this is something that I can just give back over to you. Or if we give it back over, we still just, there's still that urge to control. When our children are young, sure we do that because they need it. They need us to be in control and teach them. But as we teach them and as they grow, we have to learn how to separate. We have to learn how to trust God with their lives because I can tell you that will turn into enabling that will turn into some serious dysfunction when we keep our hands in the midst of things that God should be in control of. So without meaning to, sometimes we start to control our husbands, control our children, control our friends. We become the steamroller. And that brings us back to our big idea today. Those you love may suffer when you insist on your own plans. Those you love may suffer I'm sure that Rebecca loved Esau, but, but that relationship suffered. I'm sure that she still in some way, she loved Isaac, but that relationship suffered because of the fractioning that was taking place. Sometimes that control is very dominant and very outward, and sometimes it can be completely silent. Guilt. A look. A sigh. But it's still control, just the same. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've done it. Maybe you've had it done to you. No matter what, it's control. It's a lack of trust and faith in God. Where we try to take things away from him and make them into what we want them to be. God did not need Rebecca's help. God did not need her manipulation. But because she got involved, it fractured her family. Because Isaac chose Esau and because Rebecca chose Jacob, it fractured their marriage. Husbands and wives, please hear me today. Our children are important and they are blessings, but they are not meant to come between you and your husband or your wife. They are not meant to separate you from your spouse. If you know that you get along better with one child than the other, then you talk to your spouse about it. You must find a way to stay united. You must find a way to stay as one because your children are watching that. Your children see that relationship. When you, when you choose to favor, when you choose to control, those that you love may suffer when you insist on your own plans. So here goes Rebecca. She's devising a plan. 
So she comes to Jacob and she says, okay, I just heard what your dad said. He told, um, he told Esau to go out into the field and hunt and get some meat. Then he's going to come back and fix it up and take it in to your dad. And then your dad's going to give him the blessing. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to do that instead. I'm going to go out in the backyard and I'm going to kill the goat. I'm going to bring the goat in the kitchen. I'm going to cook up the meat just the way your dad likes it. And then you are going to take the meal into your dad and you're going to get the blessing instead of your brother. And Jacob's like, what? Mom, what is going on here? And he says, no, I can't do that. He's hairy, remember? I'm healed. He's hairy. He's covered with this hair. She's like, oh, I got it. Goat hair. I'm going to take some of that off. I'm going to put it on your arms and your hands. And you know what? Just to be safe, just to be sure that we've got this covered on every front, let's get some of Esau's clothes and we're going to put them on you so that way you'll smell like a real man. And then when you go in to see your dad, because his eyesight isn't very good, then he's going to talk to you. He's going to feel you. He's going to smell you. And he's going to be like, yes, this is my son. And here we go. You're going to get the blessing and the birthright. And that's exactly what happened. Jacob goes in gives him the stew, and, he said, and, and Isaac says, are, are you sure you're my son Esau? And he's like, yes, Dad. Yes, I am. And he says, well, let me, let me feel you. And so he touches him, and he feels the hair, and he's like, well, yeah, kind of feels like Esau. Smells his clothes. Oh, man, yes, smells like Esau. So he says, okay, and he pronounces the blessing and the birthright over him. Gives it to Jacob. When those around you are affected by your control and manipulation, they will suffer when you insist on having your way. I want to look at Genesis 27, 35. So Esau comes back in. He brings his dad to meet. He's like, Dad, here's your meal. I caught it for you. And Isaac says, your brother was here and he tricked me. And he has taken away your blessing. What? What are you talking about, Dad? Well, your brother, he came in right before you, and he smelled like you, and he had hair like you, and I thought it was you, so I gave him your blessing, and I don't have anything left for you. Oh, my gosh. I mean, can you imagine two hearts that were broken in that moment? A father who has nothing to give his son. And an oldest son who is desperate for a blessing and a birthright from his father. Esau exclaimed in verse 36. No wonder his name is Jacob for now he has cheated me twice. First he took my rights as the firstborn and now he has stolen my blessing. And Esau looks at Jacob and he says, dad, please, please don't you have anything for me, dad. Something, I need a blessing. Please, Dad, a word. Give me something. Have you found yourself there? Have you found yourself in a place where, as a child or as a parent, you're looking at one another going, please tell me that you have something for me. Or maybe you've done that with God. Please tell me you have something for me. Please don't leave me alone without your blessing. Please don't leave me alone without your wisdom and your guidance. Please don't abandon me here in this time. Please don't leave me with nothing. I want you to see what the eventual result was in verse 41. And from that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme, I will soon be mourning my father's death. And then I will kill my brother Jacob. It's fractured. Fractured. 
broken. I want to bring this back around to Rebecca because we're talking about real housewives today. We cannot underestimate our role as godly women in our homes. We cannot take for granted the role that God has given us as a wife, as a mother, and the influence that he places upon us in that role. This family is fractured because of favoritism and control and manipulation. That very day, the day that this happened, the day that both brothers came in to a father who had given away the birthright and the blessing, the family was never the same. Both boys left home that day and they were never under the same roof again. That family was never, it was never whole again. Some of you may know that feeling. You may know that hole deep in your heart. Are you a Rebecca? Are you so caught up in trying to make sure that things go a certain way that you are willing to sacrifice things in the moment, sacrifice people in the moment, just to be sure that this outcome is exactly what you need it to be? Maybe that's fear. Maybe that's selfishness. But you're so focused on the control and so focused on, oh God, it's got to be this way, that rather than just let God have his way in the plan, you just keep pulling it back and pulling it back. Remember, God told Rebecca from the very beginning what was going to happen. It wasn't a surprise to him. He knew what was going to happen, but she just could not leave it alone. And her character eroded. And she degraded and sin became a part of that family. What is it that you're trying to control? Is it work? Is it your husband or your wife or your children? Is it your friends? Is it God that you're trying to control? Is it money? Is it time? Is it your health? What is it that you just can't seem to let go of? The temptation to control is real. Sometimes it can be silly Silly stuff. Maybe the sock drawer. Maybe it's a tube of toothpaste, y'all. Ever been there? Start at the bottom and roll as you go up. See? I bet that person has one of those clips that goes on the end of a tube of toothpaste. You know what I'm talking about? Just get a steamroller and roll over the darn thing, why don't you? My gosh. What is it? I mean, it can, it can seem funny. Chris always t- makes fun of me. When we first got married, we had this little icebox refrigerator. Literally, it was about as tall as I am. And, and you could only get things in there in a certain way. So I drew this little diagram. And, and I just put it right on the front, but that wasn't enough. I cut out the shape of the tea pitcher and put it on the shelf inside. So that just in case the map wasn't clear, we knew where the tea pitcher went. I mean, some things can, some things can be funny, but, but, but some things are not. And when it comes to what God is wanting to accomplish in our lives or through our lives or through our family, please let's trust him. 
Let's not let our faith get to a place where it's so shaken that we hold on to our control more than we hold on to the God who created what is coming for us. He has the timeline. He has put us on it. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, and this is not up here. I just look this up between services. It says, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit when the Spirit of God is living within you. That's beautiful. There are some things that we can just let go. There are some things that I don't have to worry about because God is in control. Am I going to question? I probably will. Am I going to worry? I might. But at the end of the day, I know that he is in control. At the end of the day, he is in control. Rest there. Find the place of hanging on tight to God and believing that he will accomplish his purpose for you, personally for you, just like he did for Rebecca. And allow him to lead you through whatever it is that he has for your life. You can trust him. He's in control. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it's not just a book of stories. These are real people with real lives. These are real situations that took place, and and, and we can find ourselves right in the middle of them. And sometimes we can look at people in the Bible and think, oh, wow, well, that that was just kind of sensational. But no, Lord, we find ourselves there too. So I pray that today, whatever it is that we may be struggling with to control, whether we're a real housewife or a real house husband, a real house mom or a real house dad. Whatever that looks like for us, Lord, help us not to control things and help it not to become a lack of faith in our lives, but help us to hang on tight to you who is in control, the creator of all things. The one who promises that you will not sleep or slumber. You will not let go of us. You don't drag us through something just to watch us kick and scream through it. That is not your heart. That is not the character of who you are. So let us cry out to you in the moment that we want so desperately to hold on to something. Let us cry out to you. And will you lovingly and gently remind us, I've got you. I'm in control.